0: Greetings, Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 92 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal fryers. So, first things first, Angelo, uh, it is January here in Canada. It is very
1: cold. How is your body uh, feeling right now? My body's not doing too well. I actually pulled my back yesterday, and uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with, my, with the cold or with the fact that I'm uh, getting old as hell. older. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it is 30 below zero here. And. Um, You don't even need to check the Fahrenheit versus Celsius thing because they're starting to even out at that point. It's like that weird inversion. Remember we talked a few
0: weeks ago about the article, like the internet is fake, and how YouTube is worried about that inversion of like bot versus real traffic and treating it vice versa. That's how my body feels right now. I'm treating all weather as like a horrible, horrible mess that just is not real to me.
1: I have a bit of a walk when I get to work to get from the train station to the office, and it's been really bad, even for somebody that's lived in Canada for 40 years.
0: Yeah, it's uh getting worse out there. But let's just move on from weather and talk about more topical things, which actually come to think, of with the weather is very topical. <laughs> it's so very topical.
1: <laughs> it's the basis
0: uh, of all small talk. <laughs> it's true. That and like local sports teams. Yeah. So last week we talked a bit about the uh, the Gillette ad. We were very, very kind of like present in the kind of news we wanted to talk about. This week we're kind of straying away from our, <laughs> our um, topical uh, uh sort of like a, a ranting, except for the fact that I had to bring this tweet to your attention. So this guy... Uh, Ryan Savidra, who works for The Daily Wire, which is a right-leaning publication, um, posted a clip of a video in between Tahini Nassi Coates and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a rep, right, for uh, Congress. And um, I'm just going to read the tweet here. So socialist rep Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez claims that algorithms which are driven by math are racist. And she's right. She, <laughs> she is wholly right. And we've covered this. We've most recently been talking about like Amazon um, partnering up with all these uh, law enforcement agencies in order to officially profile and uh, kind of collect other information about individuals. And the idea that machine learning uh, requires a human component to it, right? Like, so the idea that we are feeding in information to a machine who then has to make decisions, but we're kind of guiding those decisions based on uh, the biases and
1: things like that uh, makes things really difficult. Algorithms are as unbiased or biased as the people that create them. And this is what she's pointing out here. And then if you go to the, uh, the comment section of this
0: tweet, which we're going to drop into the show notes, it's hilarious because all of these AI specialists are actually like, no, she's 100% right, and then are getting blocked by this dude.
1: Yeah, and he just doesn't want to acknowledge, and somebody else pointed out that he had tweets actually saying this exact same thing, but coming from the other side based on uh, the, according to him, left-leaning Google and Facebook and all that uh, messing with the algorithm. Right.
0: Uh, so it's just fun to read uh, all of the replies to it. I suggest everyone going to do that. And one of your favorite accounts, of course, uh, replied to. Yeah, the Swift on Security. I like that account. And I like to think it's actually Taylor Swift. Well, Taylor Swift is on 4chan, my friend, right? So I do think it could be her. Probably not that. Let's be honest. Double density. Something that I am uh, wildly uh, a big fan of it because I'm a huge fan of Shash and Fraud. Um, and it's uh, dueling documentaries about 2017's Fire Festival.
1: I watched only one of them because I only have Netflix. Uh, but this always reminds me of those. Uh, it's Armageddon versus uh, what's Deep the Impact, impact, deep and impact. And Dante's Peak versus Volcano. Right. And this was mentioned, of course, this week when Firefest came out or whatever it's called. <laughs> It's called, so Hulu's version is called Fire Fraud. Oh, Fire Fraud, not Firefest. Okay.
0: And then Netflix is just called Fire.
1: Okay. And did we talk about this? Like this was happening when this podcast first started, no? No, this was like right on the cusp of it, I think. Yeah, like yeah. April 2017, right? So I think we kind of talked about it, maybe. I don't know. Uh, go back and listen to our horrible early episodes. I like the idea that you're just
0: forcing people to go check, like fact check on our behalf.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, I know that I, we discussed this together because it was such a disaster. Oh, dude. like uh, So Um, so
0: I've watched both, right? So I watched Fire Fraud as well as Fire. And the each, so I don't know if you know, there's like a narrative in between the two documentary, uh, two sets of documentary filmmakers, which we'll get into in a sec. But uh, so what did you
1: think of Fire as a, as a film, just as basically as a film? I like documentaries quite a bit. And this one is high up on the entertainment factor. There's a lot going on here. And I didn't know the exact story behind it. I just knew this thing was a bit of a mess. And all I kept thinking of was the the main character, so to speak. Billy McFarlane. I was gonna say Seth Seth McFarlane, but no, different McFarlane. He kind of struck me as like almost like an idiot savant. You know what I mean? He seemed really goofy and doofus like, and but he he really knew how to trick people into giving him money. Right. Every time he spoke he to me people seemed entranced by him but to me he sounded like a business student like working on a project and yeah, just presenting a, it to the front of the
0: class yeah um, so there's some really interesting similarities and differences in between. So there's almost no uh, crossover in between the two documentaries in terms of the cast of characters. Pretty much, I mean, there's there's a little bit, but um, they definitely have different sets of people. So they had on the one hand, so the fire, so Netflix's fire, I feel, is the superior documentary for a number of reasons. Firstly, it kind of goes into the nuts and bolts as to why, uh, leading up to the festival itself, it had failed. Right, right from the inception of the influencer video and the uh, social media campaign, all the way up until people were landing on the island and sleeping in FEMA tents or trying to and you know, on wet mattresses and trying
1: to figure out where to eat. This whole thing, right? And and this is how it kind of relates to tech, right? Because Fire was an app that they wanted to design to, to book big-name people like, like Ja Rule, who was actually part of this whole Fire fiasco. And I, so,
0: so just to, to interject, sorry, because I want to use this term because I hate this term so much, but it also speaks to the VC tech bro mentality. It's the Uber of booking popular
1: acts. So the whole, that whole culture really bugs me. Yes. Those people that it's, you know, they're, they're always pitching something to you and they think they have the best idea ever and all that. Maybe that's because I I don't really live that type of life. Like I'm very happy just being uh, an unknown person who has a podcast that like a few people listen to and that's it and not have to always be uh, on. These people always seem like they're on. So what you're saying is basically like, we're not seeking VC
0: dollars. You don't want any venture capitalists to come knocking at our door for whatever minor idea you throw out on this podcast? I leave that up to you to decide. Like, do you want to be the Uber of podcasting? No,
1: not at all. Uber is a horrible company.
0: Uh, uh, that is a whole episode unto itself. But before I forget, so the main difference between the two documentaries, right? So um, Netflix's Fire really covers the nuts and bolts from a production and sort of like a um, uh, very interesting uh, sort of like granular standpoint, whereas um, Fire Fraud kind of covers uh, uh, Billy McFarlane's kind of like rise to fame, quote unquote, and how he, he becomes undone, right? And so something that the Hulu documentary that the Netflix one doesn't have is interviews with Billy. So the documentary um, filmmakers uh, paid Billy McFarlane to sit with him.
1: Yeah. Again, this guy's always trying to make money and from what I read about this is that he was trying to Get Netflix to pay him money, too. Yeah, in the six figures, yeah. To interview him, and they said no.
0: But the the documentaries are, like, so the interviews with him are very stilted because he can't talk about much, and then they challenge him on a lot of assertions, and he just stays quiet a lot. It's very, very, like, it's money, like, not well spent in this case. But the, the fire fraud people uh, also charge that the Netflix documentary was made by Jerry Media, which was the firm retained
1: by fire uh, to promote the fire festival. Now, the whole Jerry Media thing, that bothers me in a different sense, because isn't he one of those uh, people that would steal other people's jokes and stuff like that? Like,
0: yes, uh, so, uh, so uh, the original Twitter account, F*** Jerry, um, definitely did a lot of content stealing. Now they credit content, but there was a time where they would just pillage the internet for whatever um, they thought was like popping and decided to take it for themselves without properly uh, crediting anyone. And a lot of people did get angry about that. Um, so, you know, it happens and someone we're going to talk about in a bit, the, also the fat Jewish, right? So he had this whole book, um, come out, but basically what had happened is because he also was guilty of stealing content, not crediting people. People leaked his book early as like some kind of like weird revenge, which I'm into.
1: Yeah. And, and this kind of leads to another thing. I, um, I guess I don't want to say I enjoyed seeing it, but some of the people that went to this festival and paid the money to go to it seemed like really horrible people. Yeah. So let's get into this because I feel like this is
0: where the tech section really lies, right? Because I want to talk about a couple of things about how um, they managed to sell out so quickly, right? So I do feel, um, so Jerry media, uh kind of did an overreach, right, basically in getting all of these models together for this video. And then there's this coordinated uh, social media push um, to push the festival. Um, and they were using like that orange tile, right, in order to get people to stop um, scrolling from their feeds because it was something interesting.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really uh, smart tactic because you, you think there's something wrong, and they had all these and huge influencers. Like, and I, I hate that word. Uh, actually, it's 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 really annoying where people just basically exist to uh, promote things on whatever social media service you're on. It it kind of drives me crazy, and it's kind of like everything that uh, even I don't want to call them technophobes. But you know, like when people say, "Oh, technology is bringing us down." Well, this kind of points us to like where they're coming from. And I kind of understand that point. Right. Well, that's something I wanted to
0: discuss too, is the idea of digital FOMO, right? So this fire festival is pitched as this, like the kind of exclusive um, high-end music festival with a limited number of tickets and cabanas and all that, right? So the idea that you were missing out on something special. um, And it's a pressing concern in this digital age. A lot of people feel it, right?
1: Yeah. And so one one of the scenes actually that really stuck out with me in this movie was... I don't remember his name, but one of the the young influencers had like a selfie stick and he was going around and his friends were trashing all the tents around their tent so nobody would be near them, which kind of gives me the idea of the mentality of some of the people that were there. Not it's doing the opposite of helping the people you're like who are around you in the same situation. They were literally destroying tents so they wouldn't have people around them. And this this mentality is kind of made me happy to see some of these people in this situation. Is that mean of me to say? I do genuinely feel bad for the good people that actually went, although I wonder how many of these people that went to this type of thing were actually, uh, quote-unquote, uh, good. I don't think that's the right way to look at it, but they're not people I would want to be friends with. Let's put it that way. Yeah. The only people I feel
0: really bad about are all the workers from the Bahamian island, right, that that got shortchanged. The only people
1: that I, I felt had any redeeming qualities— and I felt absolutely horrible for were all the people, the locals that worked really hard. That woman who ran the restaurant. She
0: lost $50,000. Yeah. So there's good news though. So there was a GoFundMe launch the day of uh, the airing of the Netflix documentary. And they've managed to raise something like $160,000 for
1: us over. That makes me happy. See, like that's the yeah. good side of technology. Because <laughs> yeah. all those people went unpaid by these frauds, basically. These fire frauds, yes. Ja Rule came out of this relatively unscathed. Yes. The the funny thing though is that he's saying
0: that he also got hoodwinked, but it's really hard to believe that a man who was on the ground floor and involved in all of these different meetings um could have walked away thinking like being not being aware of it, I thought would have been a little bit weird to me. Um and you could see uh he makes less and less of an appearance
1: as uh they get closer and closer to the uh festival date. You know, they they kind of build it as Pablo Escobar's Island, and then they had to change that whole thing. Yeah. Next to and basically like it ended up next to a sandals resort, right? So yeah, it's just you know they 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 showed these private jets, these private yachts that everybody would have, and then they get there on like a regular charter that was tighter than most, and they have they basically took a school bus there, and one of the best scenes was when they came over and on the horizon you saw all those tents, and you just heard the reactions in that bus by the people and. I don't feel like we're spoiling anything here. It's not exactly like a, a spoilery type thing. Just watch the documentary if you haven't yet. It's actually worth a
0: watch. So Billy McFarland currently is uh, in jail uh, and uh, they cover this in both
1: documentaries, uh, basically because he, uh, while in parole, committed fraud. They then show him again, trying to scheme some other thing. And is that what he's accused of? That, that what we saw in the
0: movie there? so he was violating his parole conditions. So basically what had happened and the audacity of a man like this. So he invites a camera crew to cover, um, his like redemption arc, but his redemption arc, uh, means selling non-existent, tickets to very popular events to the fire festival mailing list, to things like the masters, the Oscars, New York fashion week. So these tickets actually for the, like the most part can't be bought, but I think it was like VIP tickets or whatever. Um, So there was someone uh, that Billy had teamed up with who was like the mouth of the operation, but Billy was directing everything. And the damning evidence is that this documentary crew that he hired has all this covered, right? So when a judge asks to see these videotapes, it's pretty easy to do. When that guy was calling all these people, I can't stand people like that. Yeah. Uh, but just coming back to the the tech side of things, like you're just creating a digital trail for yourself, right? And uh, something that the Hulu documentary goes really in depth in is um, sort of like Billy's uh, business portfolio, like pre-fire, right? So his blackheart magnesis um, a- empire of it was, a, it was a house cards too, um, and they kind of explain some of the ins and outs. And he claimed to own X amount uh, of stock in Facebook when really it was like like way less than that. So he forged all of these filing papers, and that's originally the, the reason why he got charged with fraud.
1: Yeah, he. Well, he's he's a perfect example of fraud. He he just made himself up and started buying all these expensive things to sh- seem more rich and more in tune with what somebody who's looking for uh, somebody to invest in. They'll feel more comfortable seeing that he's already got money. Yeah, and uh, and but that's not always the case, though, right? Like, so venture capital culture is something that's really interesting and very particular
0: in that. Basically, what happens is that you get an idea, right? And you go to people who are way richer than you, like angel investors and things like that, and you say, "Hey, we have this idea. We need a lot of money. It may not work out." Uh, give us some, right? Because there's no because where you just strike it big, it's kind of like a digital lottery almost. Because if you strike it big with an app, with an idea, you know, with a product, then great, you reap the rewards of it. But if you invest, you you don't have a guarantee that you're going to get the money back necessarily. A lot of the times, the way that these deals are structured. But what's so funny about this is that a lot of these venture capitalists then um, get burned over and over. But they still keep giving, hoping to hit that payout. And on the other side of things, these creators can kind of walk away scot free, come up with a new corporation, a new idea, and then keep grabbing different sources of money and hopes
1: that they're going to hit a pick too, right? Have you pitched this show to anybody yet? No, not yet. Very, very soon. Okay, good. So this all led the not racist Netflix <laughs> algorithm to recommend uh, the American meme to me, which I had yes. never heard of or seen. And it was perfectly along the lines of uh, the, the fire documentary in that it showed me the lives of the people that were driving me crazy <laughs> in the fire documentary, these uh, influencers. And I don't know if it paints them in a good light or not. It just, it just kind of shows that their whole goal is to make sure that people pay attention to them is basically what it comes
0: down to. So American meme has this very interesting cast of characters, including Paris Hilton, right? Uh, the fat Jewish, there's a, a cameo by DJ Khaled. Um, there's the Viner, Brittany Furlan. uh There's the party photographer, uh, Krill, um, and there's like this wide kind of swath of people. Uh, Emily is in there too, right? So like it's kind of covering a lot of like different um, uh, angles of uh, the this mean culture that
1: we're in currently. Well, when the most redeeming person in the documentary is Paris Hilton. That says something.
0: Paris Hilton Loki, one of the savviest people we'll probably ever see. Her reinvention into um, sort of like this this uh, tech savvy person who knows how to play to a, and grow a fan base. Like she is very interactive with her fans. She uh, calls them. She talks to them online, and there are meetups and things like that. Um, she knows how to monetize uh, herself and her base
1: in a way that keeps her going. Well, she's the original, really. She's she's the first influencer from from what I can gather right. from the, the the film and. I mean we've we've known about her for years and years. Yeah. We're going on two decades right now, right, pretty much, right? Yeah
0: so, yeah. so the darkest timeline, uh or the darkest uh memer, as it were, is is definitely Carol Krill, uh, right, who is the uh party photographer who just can't seem to escape this like cycle of alcohol and uh he's definitely abusing substances, I think.
1: Yeah, he lives the opposite life of mine, and uh I'm happy to uh, oblige with that. What was weird with him? He seems to be two different people. Like daytime, nighttime. Yeah. Like when he was with his parents, he seemed like a nice guy, but then in the evening he seemed like the opposite of, of, well, yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was showing his
0: parents some of the more obscene stuff that he was getting. Right. So I don't, I don't know if they it was entirely different, I guess, but I look, like, do I, you show your mom? Like, like the weird half naked pictures of women that no, you get sent
1: th- as a party, a party photographer. Look, he was gross. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. You know who's actually also like a weird idiot savant when it comes to this is DJ Khaled. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a persona, right? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I think that's him. Like, he's just himself. He's just this happy-go-lucky guy who seems extremely likable. And the way he talks about technology is really weird because he seems to get it, but also not get it at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny to watch
0: him kind of unpack why he's popular and like the ways in which he is popular, right? So uh he kind of had like this resurgence um as an Instagram star a couple of years ago, right? And that's kind of where it started and all of the sayings, major key, et cetera. You played yourself, which is from a complex um, sneaker uh, TV show. And, like there's there's a lot going on there that he's basically made uh given his second win based on a number of catchphrases that he's uh created.
1: Well, the thing I gathered from it is that on the surface, like a lot of these influencers seem like they just fell backwards into this fame. And in a lot of cases, that's how it is. But Brittany Furlan, right? She's really funny. But I think she's deeply troubled too. Like just looking at her with uh, her new boyfriend, Tommy Lee was uh Which is which was a bit of a weird shock to me because obviously yeah. I don't follow
0: Vine Star or Brittany Ferlin on Vine or Twitter or anything, so it was kinda of weird. But I feel like Brittany's whole kind of character arc was just um there's this term about like when you're chasing a heroin high, like chasing the dragon, I feel like that's what she's doing, right? Because um she seemed to sort of try out a bunch of different personas and ways of being that uh were hitting sort of like um on a very limited basis, right? So she keeps kind of flipping around trying to change something and seeing uh what she can do to be different.
1: Yeah, she she was sort of likable though. Uh, I I kind of felt bad for her in certain parts where she was, you know, she was the unpopular kid when she was growing up. And but then, like, she seemed a little bitter about how she would bring people into her vine, and then they would get way more popular than her. Okay, so I I kind of wanted to discuss that very quickly, right? Um, so what
0: do you think it is about her? Um, and for me, I think what it is, and I can't believe I'm about to talk about this, but I feel like her brand isn't well identified enough. Because she was a bit all over the place. Yeah, exactly. So all of these other people that she brought had a strong brand, singular vision, kind of knew who they were and what they wanted to do, versus she kind of like was throwing things against the wall, seeing what was sticking.
1: Yeah, sort of like Samsung.
0: (laughs) Yeah, except I don't think that she
1: uh, blew up on any planes. No. Uh, So all this brought a question to my mind. And uh, do you ever like comment on famous people's tweets or Instagrams? No. No. No, there's no use. The funny thing is, I was
0: talking to, I think, I can't remember what it is, but I had a Twitter exchange with someone recently where they said that, like, watching people comment on other famous people's, uh, Instagrams is, like, really weird because they don't always get a response. But I don't know if you know this. So if you, like, have a, if you follow, like, a big account and at the bottom, you'll usually see someone, um, bigger famous as like, the last comment, right? Because this is how Instagram designs itself. So, for example, like, if you follow Drake and then you'll see, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, one of, like, his OVO comment
1: on something No I've never actually noticed that and I've, I've only ever commented on one like famous person's tweet and that person tweeted back at me and I was very excited
0: Was it Colbert?
1: No, it was uh, Lisa Loeb. <laughs> uh, I'm trying
0: to think, are there any famous people? I don't know. I watched one of my favorite um, graphic novelists, Box Brown, uh, was explaining, was unpacking the term jabroni, and The Rock actually responded to him, which was kind of cool. That's amazing.
1: And uh, the Instagram thing, I'll, I'll occasionally like a singer or a rock band's like picture or whatever if it's nice enough, but I have never, ever commented on their Instagrams. It's, it's, it's like just screaming out into a void. And then in that void are really like banal, uh, comments in there. If it's you ever true. look, they're, it's they, true. they're really sad. It's, uh, I'm kind of surprised you've never tried to respond to Taylor Swift. No, 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 no. That, uh, that's I'm like a curious. huge void to be screaming in. <laughs> I, I remember once, uh, the guy who was behind, uh, the Trump draws stuff. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, of course, where he holds up the book, yeah. Well, funny enough, he was the producer of one of my favorite video podcasts back in the day, The Totally Rad Show. And when it came out finally that he was the one doing this, he posted, he showed what happens when he posts a, a, a Trump draws tweet and how quickly the retweets and likes go up. It's insane. It's like exponential. It's really interesting to see that.
0: What I'm interested in finding out is any of our listeners have, uh, made a habit out of, uh, responding to, uh, bigger accounts, tweets, or like left comments on Instagram if they've heard back. We want to hear about your interactions. So if you can go ahead and tweet at us, oddly enough, at double underscore Nancy or send us an email at double density podcast at gmail.com or you know head over to double density.net, click on the contact button and fill out that form because we're interested in knowing like what what is your relation um, to famous accounts like what do you do and how do you sort of like proceed uh, with these kinds of things I'm super curious to hear if any of our listeners um, have had these uh, things happen to them
1: you want to get entertained just go look at uh, there's this small account called uh, the real Donald Trump go look at his <laughs> uh, comments uh, replies uh, oh boy And with that, my friend, uh, I'm going to head on over to the paranormal side
0: of things and I'll see you there. Does that sound good? I'll uh, leave you a comment. Perfect. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So first things first, a quick note, one of our past guests, the great Desdemona, you can follow her at Twitter on Twitter, not at Twitter, on Twitter, at at Desdemona, uh, recently had a a short story published in a a horror anthology called Tavistock Galleria, which is available now over on Amazon. And we're going to drop a uh, link in the show notes uh, about this. And Angela, you read the story, right? Really
1: great. I guess I don't want to spoil anything, but there's uh, a certain thing that you'll find in a certain place that I'll never look at the same way. That's, you know, <laughs> that's intriguing enough to make me want to go
0: uh, have friends read it. So that's, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm proud of you for trying to uh, sell this. Great. So uh, we're recording here on Tuesday, January 22nd. And yesterday was January 21st. Uh, which was a Monday, and it is also kind of widely known as uh, Blue Monday, which is the third Monday in January. It's also known as the
1: saddest day
0: of the year. Uh, you're, you're aware of this, right, Angelo?
1: I am. Is it because it's a combination of it getting dark early and being really cold? Because it's not the darkest day of the year. No. No,
0: that would be December. No, it's just this combination of like um, post-holiday uh, depression, uh, it being back at work kind of in that slug.
1: So all of that like holiday newness has like worn off now, right? In most places uh, that we know, it's, it's quite cold. Uh, it's not summer, unless you live in Australia, lucky you. Uh, but uh, except for all those crazy spiders you have down there.
0: Yes, but that is not the point I want to make. <laughs> what I want to talk about is someone else who very much hates Mondays, and that my friend, is the character of Garfield the Cat. Okay, so <laughs> <With> that, <laughs> let's. So, like disclaimer, like we're gonna get real weird in this section, and you'll have to follow. It's like when you go to karaoke and there's the bouncing ball, you know, of of lyrics that you have to follow. This is what we're doing. You'll have to bounce with us.
1: Yeah, uh, Brian put this in the show notes, and I had no idea why. But then I I started reading about it, and I was became really interesting. Uh, But it's one of those things, it's a a good example of when you're looking at something and one thread leads to another and then leads to another. Uh, And what's that called? Pulling a thread? Following a thread? Yes. Yeah.
0: Pulling a thread. So let's get into this, right?
1: So... (laughs) (laughs) There is this theory out there
0: that Garfield the Cat actually died in 1989 and uh, not died like kind of like, oh, this is an urban myth, but actually like in a series of comic strips leading up to Halloween 1989, culminating on October 28th, uh, the idea that Garfield had a sort of like ego death.
1: Yeah, I don't remember reading that. And I, I was a huge Garfield fan as a kid. And uh, but I didn't really. I guess I didn't really follow it in the newspapers. I don't. I don't remember anything. The one thing I do remember, and I don't. You're too young, maybe for this, but there was a TV special and a book that one of my friends had uh, the called Nine "The Lives. Nine Lives of yes, Garfield." Absolutely, yeah. which is okay. the
0: weirdest book out there.
1: I remember being a kid and crying, especially uh, the cat and the piano thing, where the person yeah. was playing the piano and she knew the cat was dying. That's like so depressing. It is so
0: bizarre. And if anyone has a copy out there, I suggest pulling it out and reading it because. It's like very like mature audience kind of stuff. I remember it being on CBS. It was uh, that's where Garfield always had his specials. Yeah. So uh, coming back to the matter at hand, though, the death of Garfield. Right. So there's a series of strips where Garfield wakes up from a nap. He uh, wanders the house. He can't find John and Odie. The house is empty. Uh, eventually, we find out there's a for sale sign. He's going from room to room, and finally, he finds Odie and John. And uh, uh, John's holding like a dish of food and gerfield reaches for it and it
1: disappears it seems like he's going through a tunnel of light it's weird right it's it's really bizarre for what is supposed to be a children's
0: comic right and then he sort of wakes up and he finds john and Odin and it kind of wraps up easily
1: but it's a very weird and stilted kind of uh, uh story arc yeah and it went over the course of a few days it was the halloween week comic and uh yeah talk about making it scary it is such a bizarre thing, and of course, this has sprung up a ton of like different
0: kinds of theories about Garfield being dead. Um, John Davis has—is has, it John or Jim? Jim Davis. Jim John Davis. Davis. Jim John Davis. is uh, Garfield's horrible right, John owner. John Armical, right? So uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna link to an Atlas Obscura article uh, <laughs> called "John R- uh, John Armagle is Garfield's horrible owner." It's kind of funny. Uh, John is a jerk. I was discussing this with my fiance. We're like, we're not sure like is, would John be an MRI these days? Like when he'd be a, men, a men's rights activist, I feel like he'd be on the <laughs> cusp of being one. <laughs> he would have not liked that uh, Gillette commercial. Oh no, he would have been very confused. Um, there's also fun of like a ton of like really fun, like Garfield stuff out there, like Garfield minus Garfield, which Jim Davis has endorsed. There's also like the much darker I find one where they take away all of Garfield's um, word bubbles, but he's still there, right? So
1: it's John talking to his animal the way you would talk to a normal animal. And now, you got me thinking, what is other weird stuff in comics? And it brought me to uh, comics predicting the future. Yes. So this is really interesting. So
0: uh, crack.com, I feel like is like an under source for a lot of these fun pop culture, sort of like um, um, articles and things to, to cover like five, six theories. Like uh, some of it obviously is clickbait, but there's a lot of really fun stuff that they publish continually that's really cool. Um, so there's a cracked article that covers uh, five different times comics were eerily... Right,
1: and and we're not going to cover all five. Like no, no, no. The, the couple really stood out, and what's fun is that one of them you actually have. Yeah. So uh, the first one, so
0: number five on the list, of course, is uh, Frank Miller's uh, miniseries, The Dark Knight Returns. So uh, Frank Miller's kind of lost the plot. I don't know if you know anything about him at all. I know that. Uh, so to anyone out there who, uh, loves comic books, you've probably read All Star Batman and Robin. And to that, I apologize to you. Uh, it is a really weird miniseries drawn by, uh, Jim Lee, who's, uh, more well known for his early uh, 90s X-Men stuff. But, uh, basically, like, Batman's a sociopathic jerk. Like, it, there's just so much going on there. He basically kidnaps Robin. Like, it's kind of a retelling of the origin of it. Um, very, very skewed. Uh, if you take it as like an absurdist kind of first, it's great. If you take it seriously, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, there's also a short uh, story from Heavy Metal, which is a uh, European magazine all about Donald Trump building a wall, which is kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, actually, I forgot about that one. And that one is another one that stood out to me uh, because when was it? It was in the 90s it was written? It was in like, so, 1990, I think, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite insane that this is actually the... the the universe we're living in now
0: right but the one we want to talk about actually is something interesting uh involving x uncanny x-men number 189 written by chris claremont and uh, drawn by uh, john Romito jr coming out in 1985 and you can also find it in x-men epic collection number 12 if you're interested in a more recent and uh, cheaper way of reading things but basically the character of rachel summers has seen 9-11 happen and, and this is the the one you have, right? You have a uh, That's copy right. Yeah. I sent, it. I sent you a picture before we started, yeah, just to let you know. Um, but basically, there's a, a caption uh, that reads The Twin Terrors of the World Trade Center lie in ruins. Thousands are dead. Many more injured. Rachel's a telepath. Like, how, how prescient is that? This is from 1985.
1: Yeah. And they also talk about how you see them in the background uh, and there's an airplane flying. Uh, it's It's. It's chilling when you think of it that, that way because seeing it in a comic book like this, and I had never heard of this. I maybe had heard of it and just kind of put it in the back of my mind, but I came across this and thought, oh boy, uh, this is interesting to, to, to discuss on our show. Yeah, absolutely. But the funny
0: thing too is that it's not just North American comics that sort of uh, are able to predict uh, the future. Well, I mean, like, so Heavy Metal, I mean, is a European magazine that we can import, but cartoonists. Can also uh, predict the future in different kinds of ways, including those involving religious
1: figures. This one is the one that stood out the most to me because it's kind of bonkers if you think about it. I just, I felt like you read this article and like rubbed
0: your hands together in anticipation because you want to talk about popes and papal theories.
1: There's a cartoon that was drawn for a calendar that had comics in it, right? Like a one a day, yeah. And the comic for uh, Sunday, February 10th, 2013, it was of the Pope winning the lottery and basically saying he's quitting. Well, the next day, the actual Pope said he was quitting. They didn't predict this the day before and had an inkling about this. Yeah, the artist who had done this had
0: said he did it like the previous Easter, pretty much. Like he said, he finished around Easter 2012.
1: Yeah, because obviously if this thing gets published for something that you look at every day, well, it had to be published before January. So this was created a long time. And all of a sudden, the, the funny thing is this, they could have picked any day to put this silly cartoon, but they picked the day before he actually quit.
0: But yeah, it's kind of insane to think that like, you know, this, there's all these like different alignments, but uh, you know, broken clock twice a day. Uh, there are these coincidences.
1: Well, there, it's right? more than a clock. This look, not that I believe it, right? It's just a coincidence. It's just, but it's oh, a,
0: wait, are we hitting on something that you actually might believe in?
1: No, not at all. It's just oh. a funny coincidence, right? See, but I was
0: just rubbing my hands in anticipation, thinking perhaps you'd come over to uh, the higher side of the double density
1: uh, scale of uh, of believability. Double density. This whole thing actually made me think. Oh, isn't there a prophecy about that pope being the last pope or something like that? Because I remember hearing about that in one of those ancient prophecy shows. And yeah, it turns out that uh, our current Pope is going to be the last one, according to a prophecy by St. Malachi. Is it Malachi or Malachi? I'd pronounce it Malachi. Yeah, so it's... Isn't that the name of the the kid from Children of the Corn? Isn't it
0: your favorite father? (laughs) Um, uh, Malachi Martin? No. uh, Hold on a sec. I'm pretty sure this is it. No, it's Isaac. Sorry, I was wrong. Okay, see? I
1: apologize. Everyone, it's all right. For my uh, horror uh, movie uh, lack of knowledge here. Anyway, there's a saint named Malachi, and he predicted that this pope would be the last one because he predicted a line of like 112 popes or something uh, in the 12th century. The thing with this is that he kind of predicted all like the names of the popes and their insignias. And this thing was eerily accurate until like 1590. Uh, coincidentally, it was discovered in 1590. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then since then, uh, they've been kind of hit or miss. He talked about how uh, the last Pope would be Peter, the Roman. Okay. I don't know if you know this. Uh, the p- current Pope is neither named Peter nor Roman. What? Yeah. You're kidding me.
0: Yeah. It's as if like a, a magical box could have given me this information. Pope Francis, like, what's his actual name?
1: Jorge Mario uh, Bergoglio. Okay. It's an Italian name, actually, because his parents are Italian immigrants. Uh, but he's, uh, he's not Peter. Jorge does not translate to Peter. Mario, as we know uh, from the Mario Brothers, is not uh, right. Peter. Well, Mario Mario, correct. Yeah, exactly. I love religious prophecies and stuff. And uh, there's a, a, an article from a religious website, I guess. Is it like a religious? Are, are you talking about U.S. Catholic? I'm talking about the National Catholic Register. Oh, yes.
0: Okay, that's one of the articles in there. Yes. And
1: the article by uh, Thomas L. McDonald is hilarious because he tears apart this documentary that was going to air on um, History Channel. He talks about how this documentary is really poorly made. And um, he mentions one of our friends, Brian. Oh, no. are you, uh, I think I know who you're about to talk about, but hit me with it. So he, uh, he talks about friggin John Hogue. Yes. He talks about, uh, and I quote, most of the conspiracy theory grunt work is done by a few guys. John Hogue is listed as a prophecy scholar. So who or how does one get uh, such a designation? You just have to show up on uh, shows about Nostradamus and other prophecies, grow a long beard and uh, pretend to be an academic about something that doesn't exist. My question to you is like, why
0: do you find the, um, like papal prophecies and religious prophecies so interesting?
1: The, the reason I like religious prophecies and religious, anything to do with religion, right, in terms of uh, paranormal type stuff is there's like a built-in belief. It's called faith for a reason, right? You have faith in what, do I want to say the higher ups in the church tell you? But sure, Another thing the National Catholic Register article goes into is uh, talking about the the Vatican archives and how this documentary makes it sound like there's some sort of weird thing going on there, but they're not right. They're just it's like a it's a it's a it's a library for Bibles. Double density. Uh, yeah. Any any religious paranormal thing is interesting to me. Like remember the three secrets of Fatima, and like, of there was going to be the third one revealed, and it ended up being sort of like a. Uh, um, yeah, saying that she warned them about his assassination and stuff. And so here's a question actually that I want to bring
0: up uh, with regards to that that I don't know if we talked about originally, but like do you feel like they're safeguarding the third secret because it's yet to happen. It's so catastrophic that like to know it is uh to dread
1: it? Maybe. It's like these this whole thing with this being the last pope and stuff that none of it has any proof or validity, right? It's just all anecdotes and the, the problem I have with the, the Fatima stuff and the, uh, the Garibandal one, which is one of my favorites, actually, um, which we've kind of mentioned briefly. We still haven't done an episode about it, and it's like in our back pocket of something we want to do eventually because there's that cool footage of those little girls running backwards, which is super creepy. But it's all stuff coming from children, right? Yeah. And uh, did you know
0: kids lie, Brian? <sighs> I had an inkling. I've seen The Good Son I, I feel like I know kids and uh, to know them is to understand that they're liars.
1: They, they lie about everything and they're, they're trouble, especially if you're uh, trying to run from uh, monsters that you can't see if you have your eyes blindfolded, um, they become. Oh, a so you, you watched, you watched uh, bird box, didn't you? I finally watched bird box. Uh, I, I didn't think I was going to like that movie. I, I was putting it off and putting it off because stuff like that just kind of brings me down. Right. Uh,
0: something to note, just coming back a second, is uh, as the immortal Jay-Z once said in the song Reminder, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Like algorithms. Yeah, exactly. Um, to sort of tie things together uh, for the tech section. One of the most annoying things in the world, of course, is the term rise and grind, which is all of these people do, uh, whether it is the creation of a meme or the creation of of uh, some kind of weird conspiracy uh, theory or religious prophecy, isn't that right, Angela?
1: Yeah, and we didn't actually touch upon uh, why everybody realizes this prophecy is is fake, and it's because it was discovered by uh, a monk named Arnold Weon, if I'm pronouncing that right, and it's because he was like friends with this guy who wanted to become the pope. So
0: basically, it's just like you're just helping a friend out by creating fake religious texts.
1: Yes. Now the thing is, is they're not sure if he created it. Or he was like kind of duped into finding it, and it kind of proved that this man would become the the pope. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, and that's why it stopped being accurate after that guy was
0: pope. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, we'll link to a bunch of this in the show notes if you want to do um, some follow up because I feel like we've gone a bit long on this, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I guess it's it's comforting to know that elections were being rigged uh, way back then too.
0: I think, like, since time immemorial, uh, that sort of thing has happened. You know, like, from, like, uh, to borrow a quote from a uh, ex-classmate of mine who once said, caveman's times, Um, ever since the first caveman hit the second caveman uh, in the back of the head, knocked him out and declared himself the victor of an election, I feel like it's sort of uh, gone through that uh, whole uh, rigmarole, as my parents would say. Too bad they didn't have Facebook back then to, to give everybody the truth. Uh, influencers on every uh, platform my friend let's wrap things up for episode 92 of the double density podcast you can actually go ahead and find us on twitter double underscore density you can hit up our instagram account double density podcast you can also find us at double density.net click on the contact button let us know your thoughts Uh, I actually tweeted something out today from the show account I'm just curious if anyone would be interested in us starting a a newsletter that would just be sort of like highlights from the show Um, things that were cut from time other musings um, and then something that Angelo I know is big on is musical recommendations I'd read that newsletter I would too. Um, And let us know what you think. You can hit us up on any of our platforms. Let us know if you're interested. If so, if there's some interest, we'll definitely start that up. So Angelo, tune in next week, my friend, as we turn Double Density into a comic book podcast and talk about one of the biggest comic book events of the 1990s, Marvel's Age of Apocalypse. See you there. See you
1: then. To to book Hugh Jack's the um, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs>